Once upon a time, in a faraway land, I woke up and realized, I am going to be a dentist. Said like no one ever. These are the real stories, not fairy tales, as we go behind the smiles. This is a podcast where we interview and chat with some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation with your host, Dr. Gina Dorfman. Today's episode is brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Learn more at yappyapp.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smiles. I'm here today with Dr. Stephanie Mohan. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Awesome. Well, thank you for carving out some time to spend with us today. Um, I, um, I have so many questions for you, but I'd like to start by asking you to just kind of tell us what you do and, you know, a little bit of your, you know, background uh, story um, about your journey in dentistry. Yeah, sure. So I am, I'm a native Iowan. I've lived, um, born and raised my entire life here, which most people, I mean, have to get out a map, uh, to find, <laughs> um, but we're super Midwest. We're super, um, kind of just, I mean, maybe a little old fashioned even, um, we're, I'm not rural. I'm in a town of 600,000 people and I live in Des Moines and, um, it's, um, we love it here. Um, we, you don't, you, you know, come for the people and you don't stay for the weather for sure. But um, I've been a dentist since, um, since 96. I graduated from the University of Iowa. So I'm sort of a, you know, I mean, I'm certainly not like the, well, I'm definitely not the young dentist anymore, but I'm definitely not the, you know, the, the, the pioneer of women in dentistry, but uh, I've been around quite a while. Um, you know, trying, you know, I actually, I own four practices and just adding a fifth actually. Um, so, um, kind of working on the multiple practice ownership because I think it's sort of, I'm sort of, sort of trying to save independent dentistry a little bit. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a hot topic as well right now. So, um, just doing what, what I can do to, for our profession. And I'm, I'm a big, you know, grow where you're planted. I mean, I think there was probably a time in my life where I thought maybe uh, dentistry, I maybe made a mistake, maybe going into dentistry. And uh, now I think, gosh, you know, if, if, if God put me here, I'm certainly going to do what I can do to, to make the profession better and to help um, keep the good stuff and, and hopefully keep some of the bad stuff out. Um, multiple practice ownership, uh, definitely a hot topic uh, nowadays. Um, what is it like to, to own multiple practices and, and, you know, have, I mean, it certainly puts a lot more things on your plate, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Yes. It's a, it's a different ball game. It's, um, you know, I don't think anybody that's doing full-time clinical as a sole owner of multiple practices is going to make, I don't think that's going to work personally, um, because I'm actually the person that fills in when somebody's sick. I keep my clinical schedule lighter so that I can be the person that, you know, we, I had a doc today that had um, an injury and didn't go to work. So, I mean, you know, I'm the person that kind of, you know, works around all that. So, um, and you don't really just generally have fill-in dentists on the spur of the moment. So, that's true, and it's it's very helpful that uh, you are able to do that. I um, I used to have two practices. I sold one of them uh, a few years ago, and uh, and it's funny because once you you know when you go from two to one, you go back to your original practice, and you're like, this isn't hard. <laughs> like I can totally run this one practice. <laughs> but what is it like, like day to day? What do you do to run 
for, you know, soon to be um, five practices? Yeah. So I have, um, I have three managers. I have a sort of an HR manager who kind of deals with really, honestly, she deals with the hearts. Um, She deals with, um, you know, vacation and PTO and, and all of that kind of thing. But honestly, she keeps everybody feeling connected. She keeps everybody really, um, she's our culture manager almost really. Um, and then I have sort of an operations and well, kind of almost two operations managers, I guess, if you will, one's clinical, one's not. Um, and so we kind of, you know, we have a nice balance with that. Uh, I love them. I mean, I think one of the things when you're a woman in leadership, I think, um, that disconnected, um, sort of, um, I don't want, that's not fair to say disconnected, but sort of a, um, a, a, on a different level, like above anybody doesn't work. I think women want to be connected with women, um, on a, on a heart to heart level. And so I think, um, kindness and caring goes a long way. And, um, cause I don't think women, it's not even about respect with women. It really is about love. I think it's about how we love each other and how we care for each other. And I think to me, that's really probably one of the most important things I've learned Um, because as a dentist and when I was practicing full-time clinically, which was, you know, for a long time, I mean, I'm 23 years in practice. So really honestly, um, it was very hard to take care of anybody's heart um, and just only my brain and the patients. (laughs) That was it all I could take care of. And so after, um, you know, I kind of went more part-time clinical. Now I can take care of, you know, the people in my organization better, but I I definitely have somebody that kind of helps with that because it's, it's a full-time job. People are needing a little more handholding and a little more care and and kindness and concern than they used to because it's a, it's a rough world out there. Absolutely. And I feel in general that millennials, which, you know, comprise a lot of, um, you know, my employees population. Yeah. Uh, workforce. Um, I feel that in general, they require a little bit more whole, whole uh, hand holding and a little more feedback than, you know, I mean, the, you know, previous generations, they were kind of like, okay, you know, nose to the ground and like, I'm just going to do this. And I'm going to die in this job. And, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not the way it is anymore. And, and I actually don't miss it. I, I mean, I don't think that dying on the job, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And, and I love that you talk about hearts. I mean, you've mentioned hearts multiple times and I kind of, you know, I, I, I feel the same way. I uh, spoke at the townie meeting, um, maybe I, I think three years ago and I talked about female leadership, uh, which was, you know, um, you know, Howard kind of set me up. He was like, well, you're a woman. You, you know, you should, you should talk about this. And, and I'm like, okay, fine. I'll talk about this. So I, I get out there, I get on stage and I look in the audience and like 80% of the audience are men. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, there's no way this is going to go well. But I had uh, my entire team there. I always bring my team to the, not always, but most most times I go to the townie meeting, I bring my team with me. And, um, and, I, and I just, as I came on stage, they all cheered for me. And, and I just said, this is my tribe. And, and since then, we had the, this expression in the office, my tribe, uh, so much so that one of the newer employees last year gave me a Christmas gift. It was, um, she gave me like a globe and a, and, a, and a frame of the entire team a photograph of the entire team and it said my tribe and it's on my desk and, and 
Yeah, and, and that's what it is. You know, we're they're a tribe and, and you know, it's it's all about relationships now, right? It is, yeah. Well and, and it's interesting too, and I think the way that I've come to figure out the difference between a male dentist leading and a female dentist leading is how people had relationships with their mother versus their father, right? So mom is, you know, generally is the heart and dad is the, you know, a, a little bit of the kind of behind the scenes and the, you know, so we, we expect different things from a man and a woman. So, and I found that out by long trial and error. I mean, I didn't realize that I expect different things from my mom than I ever expected. My dad just had to show up and be a a good time, you know, have a good time. I mean, it wasn't, I never expected him to plan anything. I never expected him to organize anything. I never, I didn't, I had completely different expectations of him. And I realized that women have different expectations. uh, I mean, and, and everybody has different expectations of a woman. We expect more from a woman. That's true. And, and I, I mean, as much as I would love for that to be different and I would like to have, you know, people expect less from me. I don't think that's the way that it, it works. I think we expect that moms sort of run the show and, you know, dad sort of just takes a back seat, And, and that's, I mean, 90% of families, that's how it works. That's very true. And uh, that goes back to, you know, the fact that we don't have to lean in the same way as men do, right? We don't have, because I think that as, as female leaders, we have this pressure of, you know, do we put on a, a pinstripe suit and act like a bitch or do we, you know, like what, like, what do we do at, to, to deserve respect and, and um, uh, you know, um, a following, right? And, and that's what we've sort of been told that we had to do. But I mean, why wouldn't we, again, we grow where we're planted. We're women. <laughs> we can't do it like men do it. The people would be, I think that just confused everybody, including us even more. Absolutely. And, and our strength is that we nurture relationships. We build communities. We, we build people up. We, you know, we, we do that with, you know, employees are not like children, but, but we do that with children. Why wouldn't we do this for the people that, you know, feed our children, <laughs> right? To be fair, there's some similar, similarities between children and, and employees. I mean, there really are. I mean, and, and not just because I don't think they're children. I think that it's just the nurturing aspect. And they're, they're nurturing, to- yeah. Yeah, they're going to expect different things from us than than they are. So, um, yeah, and I I don't think by nature I was raised to be the most nurturing person, but I have four children, so I figured it out along the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I y- you know what I'm I'm not either. I, I'm I you know I. M- motherhood thing was not easy for me. So, uh, it was, it was a trial and error. Yeah. So, you you know, you, you absolutely, you learn. Um, let's talk about difficult conversations with employees because sometimes we have to, um, have difficult conversations. How do you approach that? Well, I think so. So luckily my, my HR manager, you know, my um, culture manager is, is kind of the best person for those conversations. And I try and stay out of them as much as possible because she's just better at it than I am. But ultimately, the way that we approach all conversations at this point, unless we're really just ready to be done with an employee um, or team member, what we do is we just sit down and we, we, you know, basically start it with what's up, you know, tell me, tell me how things are going. And then 
you know, if they, and then lead them into where we want to go with the conversation. But ultimately we don't really reprimand unless we're ready to let somebody go. We don't really, um, we're not harsh unless we're ready to let somebody go. We just, we just sort of talk about how we can work it out better than, than it's going now or what we need that's maybe different from what's going on now. So, I mean, it's a, it's a two-way conversation. It started by, you know, tell me, tell me, you know, or tell me maybe what happened if there was an, an incident, which happens, you know, of course, and, and patients are difficult. I mean, I, you know, having been in practice for 23 years, I feel like the first 10 years I was either completely oblivious or people were different. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, and I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't think the world's going to hack in a handbasket. I don't think any of that stuff, but I do think the world has changed. I think it's a more, upset, angry world because we have 24 seven news and we have the internet and we have social media and we have sort of inauthentic, um, you know, a face to face and a, like an in-person conversation is, has to be an authentic conversation because you have body language and you have those things involved. Um, the internet is, I hate to say this, gosh, I mean like, you know, sort of fake inauthentic, you know, um, relationships. I mean, and it, and it doesn't have to be fake. I mean, I have some I consider to be fairly good friends that I've developed online. I mean, you can have heart to heart relationships that develop online, but the most interaction is not the same as it's going to be a a face to face interaction. Well, I definitely think that in the age of the internet, we've created the, um, it's, it's more of a consumer's market than, than ever before, because anyone can walk out of your office and just, you know, ruin your reputation online or build you up. And, and every, you know, it's hard to see a patient without kind of considering like, what, how is this interaction going to look like in a review? <laughs> you know, what are they, what is it going to look like on Yelp? <laughs> when this patient walks yeah, out. Right. And uh, I, I mean, I, I have those, cha- I see a lot of challenging patients. I, I don't see a lot of patients. I work like one and a half days a week uh, clinically. Um, so I don't see a lot of patients, but every, but I see a lot of challenging patients because my team knows that, okay, I can handle them. You know, let's put her, let's, let's put them on Dorfman's schedule because, you know, she's got this. We don't want to ruin an associate's day, um, which is, which is fine. But yeah, every single, so I had one yesterday when I was walking into the room and I noticed that she found us on Yelp and I knew she was going to be a difficult patient and, and because of some of the notes um, about her in the, in the chart. And, and I thought, okay, well, let's see if I can walk out of there without a bad review, <laughs> which, which it totally worked out, but yeah, it is, it is a different interaction. And I think that people are um, uh, maybe quicker to judge. They have higher expectations nowadays. I, I definitely, I definitely think there is, um, there's more, and, and, you know, and all, all of the articles that you see about dentistry in general, I mean, they're just, they, they don't paint a good, uh, picture for our consumers. Um, let's go back to something you said earlier. You talked about your, um, culture manager. How do you create culture? I mean, every practice has a culture. Culture is either something that you, uh, create intentionally and nurture, or it's something that just happens as like a mixture of different attitudes and personalities on the team. How do you create culture? 
Well, I think it's really tough, honestly. I mean, anybody that thinks that you just sort of like, you know, have a meeting and you create a culture and, you know, that happens. Um, I, I mean, I would love to know more about that if, if somebody's figured that out. But um, in my, and then I think it evolved as I evolved. I think, um, you know, I had to really sit down and have a hard um, kind of a, almost like a conversation with myself about how I want to lead, how I want to, um, like how I want to feel at the end of the day. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't want to yell at people. I don't want to, I kind of one of my mantras that I live life uh, by is don't let anything steal or anything or anyone steal your joy. And I, I, I think that we let so much in that has no place. And it doesn't belong. It doesn't belong at work. It doesn't belong at home with our families. It doesn't belong. Um, it doesn't belong in our heart. It doesn't belong in our minds. You know. So I think that you have to be very, very careful with what you will allow. And and that's to me that's that's probably. So I think before I could create a culture in my workplace or in my company, um, which now you know is fifty employees instead of you know five or six people like a normal dental office, um, I really had to figure out who I was and what I wanted and how I wanted to propagate that and where I wanted it to go. And so and and now that I have a pretty solid idea of who I am and how I want to lead and who I want to be perceived as, and I mean and not even. I really don't worry. I'm kind of one of those people that I don't really worry too much about what people think because I know myself well enough and I, I know what's true. Um, I think the biggest thing was figuring out what, what I wanted everything to look like and what I wanted the interactions to be like. And then we could kind of build from there. And so that's a foundation. It's like how you are as a parent. It's like how you are as a, as a family member. It's how you, you know, how you treat your siblings, how you treat everybody in your life. So um, it was really important for me to figure that out first. And I think once I did, then we could really form a culture that made sense and that, um, that people really wanted to resonate with and they wanted to be part of that. Nobody wants to work, especially millennials. Nobody wants to work in an organization where one day they get yelled at and the next day um, everything's all fine. So what I'm hearing is you have to uh, kind of identify your core values, the things that matter to you, and that um, it, it's important that you are consistent, right? Yeah, I, I think consistency is almost everything. You know, it's funny. I, I've heard this on a podcast uh, not too long ago, and I, I wish I could give credit to the person that I heard it from. I, I, I just don't seem to remember her name right now or the name of the podcast because I listen to so many. My son, my son always makes fun of me. He's like, you're so efficient. You literally cannot do anything without listening to a podcast at the same time. <laughs> So um, I heard that uh, women uh, have like different efficiency days. You know, there are some days when we are really good at planning and envisioning. And there are some days when we're really good at like knocking stuff down and getting things done. And, and so our efficiency cycle kind of goes through the month, whereas men have their efficiency cycle going through the day because that's how their hormones operate. So they're most efficient first thing in the morning when they wake up, and then it kind of goes down right. as, as the day progresses. So, so it's interesting. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, my husband is the same guy too. <laughs> the same man I've married. He hasn't changed a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a great example to me because I want to be more like that. I don't want people to know 
I frankly I don't want people to know my cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so I should be the only one that really knows. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. So um you mentioned something early on that I want to go back to. You you, you talked about preserving the independent dentistry. Uh let's talk about this. Um yeah. you know, it, yes, the landscape is changing and it, it you know, I remember uh, seeing the words DSO on a dental town thread. There was like a, a DSO dental town thread with like 3,000 posts that, that kept going through the years. Now I hear DSO every day. Now everyone is building a DSO. So, so tell me about preserving independent dentistry. Yeah, so I want young dentists to not have to go to work for somebody that gives them a quota and somebody that, I mean, we, we are big things that we push on young dentists and, and not, and, and push isn't even the right word, but we encourage young dentists to become as educated as possible, to be um, well-rounded, to really recognize, um, you know, comprehensive treatment planning and to implement, um, you know, don't do tooth by tooth dentistry, really look at, uh, you know, definitely look at airway, definitely look at, you know, the old days of, you know, Hey, you're missing, you know, several teeth. Let's give you a partial. I, I, one day I looked at my team and I said, does anybody in this room ever want a partial or a denture? Anybody. And of course, nobody in dentistry would ever, ever settle for a partial. And not today, not in, you know, almost 2020, right? There's no way that we would settle for that. So why do we just settle for that for our patients, you know? I mean, and the reason is that there are barriers and there are things that happen. We get, you know what, you know, a huge, huge piece of dentistry is rejection. So if we got out of out of dental school and everybody always did whatever we said and, and accepted all of our treatment plans, we would always treat the plan comprehensively. And we would always give people what, you know, the best possible treatment plan every single time. But we don't do that because when we get rejection, we kind of start to reevaluate what we're doing and how we do it and, and what happens. And that, you know, it evolves into fear really is what it does. And so um, we don't present and we don't take the time to really discuss with a patient, you know, I could tell you that you could just have a partial and that might be the cheapest option, but truly going forward for you. It, you know, it puts pressure on the rest of the teeth and it's going to like, I mean, I've never seen a partial patient that has a stable partial for more than a few years. You know, eventually we're going to add some teeth to it or we're going to, I mean, it's not a, it's not a definitive treatment. It's an ongoing treatment. So that discussion, I mean, for what I would really want for myself, if I ever, ever have to have something removable in my mouth, I better have had a horrible accident. Because I, I I don't I don't want that for myself. I don't want it for my loved ones. I don't want that. So why would I want it for my patients? And and so it's just you know trying to get young dentists to understand that there's a better standard out there, and we don't really have to consider these things unless it's absolutely the only thing that the patient can do. And I completely understand that as well. But you know talking to patients the way we would talk to anybody else and and that's it, it sounds i mean we've been talking about that you know our whole careers or whatever but at the same time i think there's so many i mean i've taken over practices where nobody was offered best option care nobody I mean, or it was barely mentioned or, I mean, because the dentist didn't believe that anybody had the money to do it. But of course you have patients in your practice that can afford it if they want to. I mean, they all have homes and they all drive cars. Very true. 
Very true. And I think you're right. We internalize that rejection and we start treating planning differently. We, we, we kind of develop this, uh, um, you know, complex where we're, you know, we, yeah. we can't get out of our own heads sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I agree, looking comprehensively, I recently started to um, become interested in sleep dentistry because for years I've been watching my patients deteriorate. Yeah. And I was like, what's happening? I can't help you. I can't, I've been treating you for years and you're worse than you've ever been. Like what's going on here? And, uh, and it's just, I mean, it it really hit me when we started to uh, send those. uh, First of all, once you start see, once you understand and you start seeing the symptoms, you, you can't unsee it anymore. And then you start sending patients with a sleep, uh, sleep test, uh, uh, home sleep test. And they come back and you're just blown away by the number of people who are affected by it. Uh, how, uh, talk to me about uh, sleep dentistry in, in your practice. Where did you, where did you uh, study and, and how did you incorporate it? So we started, um, you know, I, I've been, been kind of working on it for about four years. My uh, mentor is Kent Smith out of Dallas, uh, who's, awesome. Um, great guy, great, great teacher, just a really, really smart guy. And, um, and then we're evolving into, you know, just more airway, um, approach and, you know, even growing airway. Um, so that's something that we're incorporating, um, now, honestly. And, and because I think I, so I have mild sleep apnea, um, you know, (laughs) speaking as a woman that's getting a little bit older and, um, you know, maybe has a few extra pounds, um, than I used to have. And I have mild sleep apnea. Um, my dad died very young from a sudden heart attack. Um, so well, I mean, I, I say young, he was 71, but I mean, you know, young enough, um, and had, I know untreated sleep apnea because he was a little stubborn, um, and would not have had that addressed because he, you know, it's sort of like a manly thing almost like I'm fine. I snore, but that's what men do. Um, and so my brother wears a CPAP. I wear a, a mandibular advancement device and, and I love it. It totally changed. It completely changed my sleep, completely changed. I mean, I, like I thought I got up in the middle of the night two or three times to, to, you know, use the bathroom because. I had children. Um, I don't do that anymore. I mean, I actually sleep, which is crazy. So anybody that thinks that mild sleep apnea isn't a big deal. And I had my diagnosis for probably over a year before I used, I I made myself an appliance because it just didn't seem to be a priority. And I was like, well, it's mild. Uh, They need to call it something different. It needs to be, holy cow, you have sleep apnea. It doesn't matter if it's five or, you know, 14, it doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, I love my sleep appliance, but I don't want to wear it forever. I mean, I, I would really like to, you know, enlarge my airway and make sure that, um, I had, um, I had headgear. Um, I was very class two as a child. And then, you know, like everything kind of, I, I was, I was, I tell patients like, in ortho, we kind of think that it's more attractive to move the teeth back and have, you know, a really beautiful smile, but we didn't really understand what all the ramifications were. So we shoved, you know, the teeth back into a smaller box and a smaller, um, you know, airway space really. And so, um, 
and that's happened, you know, all, all of my family, you know, kind of tends to be class two. And so we've kind of done that. And so my girls, my daughters don't sleep well either. And so it's kind of, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's been fun to kind of start, you know, keep going down the, the journey as, um, as everything evolves in dentistry and to learn what else is out there. So yeah, airway is fascinating to me because it's very personal to me as well. Uh, let's talk about your um, kind of a day-to-day thing. I mean, you have four practices building a, a fifth one. You have four kids. Um, talk to me about life-work balance. Does that exist? Like, is that a thing? So I have, yes, I've spent 20 years as a parent. My oldest is 20. So I have two kids in college. Um, and then I have, I have one in middle school, one in high school. So I kind of spread them out a little bit accidentally, frankly, no, no offense to, you know, all that, but it just happened that way. Um, Cause my oldest two are just a, a little over a year apart and then, you know, three years and three years. So it just kind of happened that way. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I outsource a ton. Um, I still have, you know, somebody that comes in and basically does all the mom stuff because I'm not here, you know, to be, um, I'm not, um, uh, I work from home some, but I don't do, I don't do laundry. I don't do dishes. I don't, well, okay. I have to do dishes sometimes, but, um, I don't cook. Um, I, I, I can, I'm capable. Um, I don't enjoy it at all. Um, I don't really do anything domestic, which is wonderful by the way. Um, if you can figure that out and you know, we're a two income family, so we have figured it out over time. Um, but yeah, day to day, um, I, I do a couple clinical days. I do, I fill in sometimes, you know, sometimes, I mean, I did a maternity leave for three months where I was doing, you know, kind of full-time clinical for three months recently. Um, and then, you know, I, I have more flexibility, which I think is something that moms, especially in dentistry want. Uh, they want some of that flexibility because it's very hard to be locked into a schedule and you, you miss things, lots of things. I've missed lots of things. Um, luckily I came from a family that, you know, didn't get too worked up about that. Uh, my dad was a veterinarian. He was on call. He had a kind of a funky schedule. So, you know, people in my family missed things. That was just the way it was. And so, you know, I, I, I never got too worked up about that. Um, and especially I told my kids early on, I said, with four of you, I'm going to miss stuff. I'm sorry. You know, I hate to say, um, but that's a thing. But, you know, kids accept what, if they know that you care, they'll accept, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think we're so hard on ourselves as moms. I've gotten past a lot of that. I mean, I think the mindset of being a mom is probably the hardest thing that you have to get past, honestly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've taken care of a lot of lot of people over the years and I've had a lot of people take care of us, honestly. I mean, we've had really, really great help and really great um, resources and people that we've taken, you know, and, and I look at it as, um, you know, providing extra jobs and extra, um, you know, income for other families as well. So, I mean, I, we're, I mean, we've made it all work, you know, we're, we're very blessed in lots and lots of ways and lots of different um, things. And um, we've, I don't know. I mean, I wish that I could say that it was like this process. I mean, a lot of it was just eliminating things that were really hard and things that were really frustrating and just making some, a better system or a better approach to, to things like that. I'm probably better making systems as a family and as a household than I am at work. Honestly, <laughs> you are a mentor to a lot of young dentists. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who is, uh, you know, maybe graduating dental school or just entering a profession now, someone in the first couple of years of their career? Yeah, I think um, a mentor or multiple mentors is so important. Um, and it, I think you and I both are in the same boat where there weren't a whole lot of women that were that far ahead of us that we could ask at the time. 
Um, and there weren't a whole, whole lot of women professionals that had done the family and the, you know, the business and all of that. Um, so I think people today, they're so blessed that they have more peers. They have more people uh, that they can ask and they can talk to. So um, I think finding wise counsel of any type is so important. Um, if you don't have family members and you have, you know, people that you can trust, you know, having a girlfriend, having a, um, you know, somebody that's, that's been ahead of you to, to ask, I mean, and not to be afraid to ask. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made was being, strangely enough, I, I, most people would not think that I, I'm, I'm shy, but I don't um, like putting myself out there for, um, I mean, I think nobody likes to feel stupid, I think. And so there are a lot of questions that I just never asked because I didn't want to feel dumb asking the question. And I would say to most people today, just ask the question, ask somebody that you trust that you know, isn't going to laugh at you or make you feel bad or whatever. Um, but there are a lot of questions that I would not ask because I just thought that I would feel stupid or I didn't want to appear stupid. And, and that was really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. I think especially when you are first starting out, you kind of, you know, you hate to admit what you don't know. I don't have this problem right now, but I definitely had this problem uh, before. And and I think maybe right now, you know, if I ask a stupid question, no one is going to say, well, she's stupid because I have like this. Right. Yeah. yeah. Street cred, <laughs> whatever. But 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 when you're when you're young, you're starting out. You really don't want to. Um, and there was a nice thing about Dental Town because you could post questions anonymously, and uh, you right. could you could you could do a lot of you know you could still go on it and, and search, and you find a lot of information. Um, there's a lot of information out there, um, and I one of the things that I always um, uh, tell young dentists is, is, you know, learn as much as you can, because there's, you know, you start into, you, you, you know, not just clinically, but, but practice management, right? Where did you learn to become a good leader? How, how do you learn? Um, so one of the things that I did, and I was, again, very fortunate to be able to do this. I hired a lot of coaches, um, when I decided I wanted to do some speaking and some teaching, I hired a speaking coach. I hired, actually, I ended up having three separate speaking coaches over the years. Um, I hired a coach when I wanted to become more organized. I hired a coach when I wanted to get in better shape. I hired, um, you know, so I, I mean, and it's, I mean, I didn't spend an atrocious amount of money, but I wasn't afraid to spend money to grow and to, to get better at something and to learn something. Um, multiple practice management coaches uh, and consultants and, and people that I just thought, you know, would know more than, than I do. I pretty much have always had, you know, one coach or another. Um, now that my, you know, super, super fit son is home from college, he, you know, has t- taken it upon himself to become my personal trainer, which is wonderful. Um, but, you know, ouch, man, gosh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big difference between 48 and 20. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, getting, I, gosh, I mean, I've traded, I've brokered, you know, like, you know, traded for um, different coaches and that kind of thing. Like here, you know, I'll do your dentistry and, you know, let, you know, give me some, some personal training or whatever. I mean, like I've done that in the past. I mean, anything that you can do to further yourself, make yourself better, smarter, stronger, um, you know, more efficient, that, those kinds of things. And I mean, people are actually really fortunate today because you can read, you know, blogs and listen to podcasts and get better at things, you know, if you will implement and you will do that. Um, never, ever, ever, ever learn something that you're not willing to implement, right? 
So true. Let's talk about implementation, actually, because this yeah. is this is where we suck as, as a profession, right? We, we go to continuous education courses, and yeah. then we go back to the office, and our staff knows that if they just, like, try not to make any yeah. eye contact with us for, like, three days, we'll move on, right? They never have to implement. How do you implement stuff in your office? Well, you have to make a commitment and to yourself. I mean, you know, if you're going to spend the money for a continuing ed course, you have to absolutely say, you know, this is something that I believed in enough to go to the course, to pay the money for the course. I'm going to go, I'm going to make this happen. And you have to be very stubborn and very persistent, right? Um, and you have to, you have to educate your team. You either have to take them with you. Um, or you have to educate them as they go along and help them to be part of the, the process. So, um, you know, cause, because I think belief in what you learned um, and belief that it can help your patients and, 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 you know, hopefully, you know, your community um, belief in that will drive your implementation. But if you don't have belief, then forget it. And you probably should have never signed up for the course in the first place. Um, but I mean, I'm very intentional about what I learn and what I take and, and, and I'm very stubborn about bringing it back and implementing it. Um, and I've had things that have taken me years to implement. And I mean, like, you know, taking stepwise, like sleep, sleep is, a, is a really good example of that. Um, the medical billing is very frustrating and very, um, it takes a long time to figure that out um, and to find a company that really can, can work hard um, with you on that. Um, so it, it, that's taken a long time. I mean, we have, have, I mean, I've seen so many sleep consults and, and haven't converted those like I normally would, um, because medical, um, in, medical insurance has gotten in the way, honestly. I mean, it slows it down and I mean, insurance is really there to be a barrier as much as it is to be a help. Right. So. Um, yeah, I mean, implementation is rough. I mean, and anybody that thinks that they're amazing at it, I, I would really, you should interview them. <laughs> I would say I'm probably mediocre at best, but I'm, I'm a good implementer, but I don't think I'm a fantastic implementer. So I'm just going to make an invitation to anyone who's listening. If you're a great implementer, please call me yeah. and let's, let's get you on a podcast. Let's talk about this because, and, but you, you said something very important. You have to get the team involved. You can't just go yeah. to the course by yourself. And, and Dr. Howard Fran always talks about this. He goes, the, yeah. the difference between the successful dentists and not so successful dentists is that the successful dentists are here with the team. Um, and, um, and for me, or was, you know, the team when they get back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, it, yeah, it has to be. And in my, in my practice, oh, it has to be team driven. Way better than Absolutely. When I, when we, we were talking about sleep just now, when we took our sleep course, uh, my associates uh, went to, to take the course. My, um, a lot of my team members went to take the course and it was personal to a lot of the team members. And I have one who hasn't, she's going this summer. Um, but she really, you know, when we brought this back, she really kind of, she appointed herself as a sleep champion because it was so personal to her and she educated herself. And it was interesting because we had, um, I had her yesterday teaching other employees how to, you know, set, set, uh, set up the sleep test, how to administer the questionnaire. And, and for, it was just personal to her and she was, she was all on board. And when you have people like that, yeah. that are implementing for you, it just, it makes 
so much easier. I, I hope you come on the show again. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for all of the information that you've shared. You are a, an absolute rock star. Thank you for everything that you do for our profession and for sharing all of that great information with us. And well, thank uh, you. You're amazing. I mean, this is everything that you've done is just totally inspirational. So thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to Behind the Smiles. This podcast episode was brought to you by Yappy. Not only does Yappy automate the busy work, it lets you get back to focusing on what's most important, your patience. So take a complimentary demo today at yappyapp.com.